If you enjoy the Filmmakers Podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 287 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films to TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and a producer. The film that I directed, The Stranger in Our Bed, is available right now on Showtime. It has just come out on Showtime and on Amazon Prime in the US. At the moment, only in the US, it will be available in the UK in September, September the 5th, I believe. The trailer has dropped, you can check that out if you should so fancy. Also, Followers, a film I produced, is out now on Blu-ray uh, and DVD, and it's still available on Amazon, etc, etc. Enough about me. Today's episode, we have on the fantastic actor and exec producer, Jonathan Benefield. He's the exec producer of the trial of the Chicago 7. And he's the exec producer on John Leguizamo's doc, Road to Broadway. He's a producer of I Might Be Famous, The Good Night, The Long Commute, and he's exec producer of As They Made Us. This is a fantastic film uh, directed by Maim Bialik, who you will know from Blossom, if you are my age. You will know from Beaches, if you're my mum's age, but you will definitely know her from The Big Bang Theory. This is a fantastic movie, uh, As They Made Us. It stars Dustin Hoffman, Diana Agron, Simon Helberg, Candice Bergen, and Melanie Huber. It's the story of a divorced mum who tries to make peace with a dysfunctional family as she finds a second chance at love. It is available now. Links to it will be on the show notes. So, filmmakers, why is it important that you should learn the business of filmmaking? Why is it important that you shouldn't wait around for someone to make your film for you? And why you should make it yourself? These are all things uh, that Jonathan Benefell talks about in this week's episode. He also talks about how social media really helped him and how Trial of the Chicago 7 came about and why he invested. You're going to enjoy this one. Also, you might uh, have noticed on Twitter at the moment, at Filmmakers Pod, that we are giving away Roger Nygaard's fantastic book, Cut to the Monkey. It's a Hollywood editor's behind-the-scenes secrets to making hit comedies. He's a director, he's an editor. He has been on the podcast, episode 276. So literally, oh, just over 10 episodes ago. Scroll back, listen to that one. It's fantastic. We are giving away his book, Cut to the Monkey. It's a signed copy as well. Go onto Twitter now, follow the instructions and you could win that book. It's easy, simple. Shout outs this week go to Ben Parker, Bronson Payne, Faith Elizabeth. This is a couple of weeks ago. She was wearing one of our t-shirts, one of our merch, one of our Filmmakers Podcast t-shirts. The merch is available by the way, link to that is in the show notes. And she looks rather fantastic in it. Uh, thank you, Faith. Other shout outs to Adam Murphy, Mark Coleman, and to Raddy Nikolov. Not only has he done a blog for our filmmakerspodcast.com website, all about how to make shorts on a shoestring and how he got his film Doubt Buys the Whiskey made. So go check that out, by the way. Link to that is in the show notes. It's brilliant. It's really useful for short filmmakers out there right now trying to get the shorts made on a shoestring. But also because he is our first guest 
for our mini-sodes. Yeah, that's right. We are doing Filmmakers Podcast mini-sodes where we're talking to short filmmakers, we're talking to behind-the-scenes people, people that aren't on our main episode. So we decided to do this. They are on our Patreon now and they are free. They are free. Uh, link to that is patreon.com forward slash the filmmakers podcast. Again, link to that is in the show notes, but do go listen afterwards. Uh, he talks more about how he made short films and how you can too, how you can get started in the business. There's going to be more and more of that. And again, it's going to be for free on our Patreon. I cannot stress that enough. Also, there's ad free episodes as well. Also, there's so much bonus content as well. All the stuff that we take out of the episodes, plus some really cool stuff that we don't put in the episodes. And in fact, sometimes I said Toby Toby that stuff's so good it should go in the main episode <laughs> naughty Toby <laughs> but uh, I don't really but because uh, we want you to go there we want you to support this show in any way you can and if you do like this please please go onto iTunes and rate and review it means a lot to us but it helps other people find the show as well but most importantly tell your friends and retweet us on Twitter and Instagram and pass the love of this podcast around because that's how it grows that's how more people learn and I wish I had this when I was starting out. So I hope you learn from this. I hope you benefit from this. I hope and imagine that you learn from this and benefit from this because you all listen in your droves week in, week out, which is why I keep doing it because I'm a busy boy. Got stuff going on. A lot of stuff. We are literally, I keep saying this, but this is true now. <laughs> we are delivering, which I produced with Lucinda Rose Takra and Jack Spring directed it. Uh, we are delivering that next week. Exciting times. We're talking about release dates and everything. Yeah, exciting. Right, let's get to it. This is our Filmmakers Podcast episode with the rather lovely Jonathan Benefield. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good, 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 man. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I am all right. Thank you for spending time with us, man. That's really cool. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you, man. It's uh, it's exciting. You know, your whole career is kind of cool. You know, the whole coming through the acting, sort of disappearing for a little bit, doing other things, then coming back into it. You know, because that's always hard. People always think, how am I going to do that? How am I going to go away from this and then come back? And if I do, is that the end? How's anyone going to, you know, respond? to me again people hang in there um and it can be difficult and i think that's fascinating because that's what you did and then you know now you've come back on this huge journey straight <sighs> in i think that's really great tell us about your journey to get to that point where you'd stepped away for a bit and then you thought you know what i'm gonna make a short what happened before that well i you know i started as an actor of course like you had mentioned mm-hmm. and i had moved to los angeles uh because my agent that was representing me in new york decided to open his own agency in LA. Mm-hmm. And he was basically like, Hey man, if you ever want to come on out here, I'd be happy to represent you out here. And I said, sure thing, man. I packed up my Honda Civic and <laughs> yeah. loaded it up and drove across country. And, you know, and the thing was, is, you know, I, I bought a condo. I had a lot of responsibilities that I didn't have when I was, you know, kind of living at home. Mm-hmm. And with those responsibilities, I wasn't as available as I could have been. And I was getting frustrated that I wasn't getting the auditions, which is what every actor goes through. Right. I think, I think the thing that actors sort of believe is that the agent is going to do everything for them, Sure. that the manager is going to do everything for them. And so they sort of hang around waiting for the phone to ring, waiting for that next audition. And it just wasn't happening for me. And so, you know, I met my wife or the girl that became my wife yes, congrats. and uh, met her in LA. And yeah, it was great. 
And I just figured, you know what? I'm going to take a break from all this. I'm going to focus on my marriage. I'm going to, you know, she had three daughters from previous marriage. So I figured I'm going to just become the family man for a while. And I sort of hung out in that space. And then I started to miss acting. And what I realized is that, you know, when you, when you take the attitude and I always equate it to the restaurant business, right. you know, you can either be a waiter and focus on just that, which is what a lot of actors tend to do. Mm-hmm. But then, but then everything is at the behest of, will the manager like you? Will they hire you? Will the chef like you? Will the owner like you? You have to go through this whole process kind of like actors. Yeah. But, if, but what I started to realize is that if I could learn more about my business mm-hmm. and look at myself as sort of like being in the entertainment business rather than just focusing yeah. narrowly on acting, yeah. that that would open up more opportunities for me in every way, in every which way, whether yes. it be acting or what have you. So I started to try and learn more as much as I can about the business. And that's what got me into saying like, okay, let me create my own work. Let me start by doing a short film. I had a buddy of mine, Eric Seltzer, another actor. We've known each other forever, 40 years, whatever. And he was like, he's always wanted to play Lenny in Of Mice and Men. Perfect. And so, yeah. and, he, and if you look at this guy, I mean, he looks like Lenny. Oh, does he? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Big, big dude, like a Luca Brazzi type of guy. Uh-huh. And so I said, hey, man, you know, why don't we do something with that? Let's, let's do a short film loosely based on of mice and men mm-hmm. um you get to play the lenny character i get to play the guy who's the brother that's always kind of looked out for you and we set it to this mafia backdrop and so i got together with some with a team of people that i had worked with uh prior and uh we just we just did it and uh the film went on to win 32 awards at festivals mm-hmm. and five nominations. We got a whole bunch of acting awards. So that was the beginning of it. And putting together that film is what really got me interested in producing more stuff. Yes. I'm like, hey, man, you know, this, this seems to be the ticket. Creating your own opportunity is key. Don't wait around for other people to give you an opportunity. You have to sort of set the table for your next opportunity. And that that. That's kind of what I did going forward. It's so, so important to do that. And it's something we we say on the podcast all the time. Don't wait for people to maybe create work for you or maybe take your project on. They might, but they're busy people. And if there's no money on the table, if there's no cast named cast around, mm-hmm. they've got other shit going on where they're looking for money or named cast. So if you're not bringing something to the table and you can always say, yeah, but my project is the best. I am the best. Sure. But as we both know, uh, it doesn't mean it will be. It might be, but hey, they're not willing to take that chance on 20 other you who are all saying the same thing at the same time, uh, they have to go where the money is and you have to survive. Talk us through Protecting Tony, because that's the name of the short that, again, went on to do ridiculously well. Really great. How did you plan it? Like you say, you'd not really done this before, but you had been in the acting game a long time and you had been around people who were making stuff and you come from a family of, of performers as well. But how, how did you go, okay, well, right, we're going to make our own short. I want to get back in the game. Was it about 10 years that you were away? Something like that? Something Ish. like that, yeah. Ish. Okay, so how did you go about it? Because you, you're not talking to any other filmmakers at the moment. You're not talking to composers or editors or DPs or first ACs. How did you piece it together? Well, I, there was an, uh, an outfit in New York. 
uh, called the Actors Green Room, mm. and I, uh, my buddy Eric had you know taken some classes there, and he's like, you know, this is a great way to network and meet people. And so um, Jen Rudolph is the owner of that of that place, and uh, she had a part. She was a, a casting director previously. And she had a partner whose name escapes me at the moment. But mm-hmm. anyway, he was he was sort of giving uh, actors sort of career advice. So that's what I did. I, I got together. I kind of did some research and I said, OK, what could I do to sort of jumpstart my career? And so I did this uh, hour session with him, basically career counseling for actors and entertainment people. Okay. And he was like, well, hey, man, you know, get yourself some headshots, get some new headshots, uh, you know, get get a reel together. Right. So I, I, I found this outfit uh, that was doing actor reels. And I put together a few little scenes that they wrote and produced for me. And mm-hmm. I liked their work. And I kind of got together with them and said, Hey man, you know, would you be interested in helping me do a short rather than just little vignettes, little five minute, three, five minute things. How about we, we, we do a short. And so I met with the team and and I said, this is what I want to do. This is sort of the outline. And we all got together and, and they shot it and that was it. I don't know if the company is still around it. Okay. I think they were called real reels something. <laughs> and it just did. I love that. Cause sometimes it is about you taking those, those risks and going, Oh, sod it. I need a reel. Like you say, I need a reel. But then what that did was then it made you go, actually, I'm pretty good at the producing side. I'm pretty good at this side what was it about the producing that you felt that you were good at that you liked and you wanted to do more of i had an intuition and most of what i do is based on my intuition Mm -hmm. and so i had this intuition that this was the right move at that particular time Uh, i had never worked never worked with my friend eric all these years you know and i figured this would be a great opportunity for both of us and you know, just putting it all together was just a blast, you know, flying him to L.A., finding him a place to, you know, to stay and, you know, getting everyone together to do, you know, writing sessions. And, you know, it, it just the whole process was a blast. And and I said, man, I got to do more of this. Yeah. Once I saw that that project was successful, I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe lightning can strike twice and three times. So I just I kept wanting to do it. And that was really, I mean, it's basically that simple. There was nothing specific that I could pinpoint. It was just the overall process that just got me stoked and wanting Mm. to keep keep doing it. So how did you keep doing it? Because that's the thing. People go, oh, cool. I love doing that short. I love doing that promo or whatever it was. But it's the case of then how do you keep doing it? Because it's one thing making something like say, where you've raised a bit of cash yourselves, but then it's how, like say now, obviously the, obviously winning so many awards for your short really helped, but I imagine that took time. That took maybe over a year or whatever. So sure. it's just for our listeners. We love to know those important details of, of what did you do? How did you approach it? For me, it was all about social networking. Um, oh, Facebook yeah. is actually has actually been the key to my success. How interesting. See, it's, it's important. Most people get hung up in the, how do I get started? Uh, what's the best move mm-hmm, forward mm-hmm. that's going to give me the most bang for my buck kind of thing. Yep. Um, and what I just, what I would say is just start just start, just do anything, just yeah. take, start taking steps forward because as you 
as you move, the universe goes, hey, I think he wants to do this. And, and suddenly people will start to gravitate toward you that are kind of at the same level that you're at. And, you know, it's like birds of a feather, man. You know, they do flock together and, mm. and you sort of put out that energy and you start to attract the same sort of like minded people that are wanting to do the same thing. So what I did was I just started building a network of people through Facebook uh, that were friend requesting me. And of course, every time I get a friend request, I check them out. I go on IMDB and I'm like, okay, what's this guy doing? And so this guy, Carrie Anderson was one of those examples. He mm -hmm. reached out to me, friend requested me. I was like, cool. I checked them out. I looked at his resume and I'm like, oh, this guy's interesting. He's, we're basically swimming around the same sort, doing the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And he had a contact with uh, a woman by the name of Ann Clements, who's a producer, and he's really good at finding people to invest uh, in films. That's right. what he does. Right. And so he we, we sort of became friends and he's like, hey, dude, I know you're working on The Mob Kid, which is my current project. Mm -hmm. He said, but, you know, I got this great project, Trial of Chicago 7, DreamWorks is behind it, Steven Spielberg, Aaron mm -hmm. Sorkin uh, is writing and directing and through all these, you know, obviously, Sasha Baron Cohen. So that's all I needed to hear. Indeed. Yeah. He's like, look, I know you're busy with your thing, but you might want to take a look at this. And I was like, at first, I was like, no, no, I want, you know, because <laughs> everybody gets so locked into wanting to do their project and you yes, don't want to yeah, hear yeah. it. It's like, I want to get my thing done, man. I don't want to hear about anybody. But I see, he said, look, just just get on the phone with the producer and, you know, just have a conversation. I was like, OK. And then I sort of had to take my creative hat off and put my producer hat on. And, and mm -hmm. I was like, OK, I don't know if you guys have heard of Shark Tank or if you guys have your version of Shark Tank. We do have our own version here. Right. So we have Shark Tank here. And I'm saying to myself, OK, if I was about to pitch, you know, my two projects to the sharks, what would they want to invest in? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, a first time writer that they kind of never heard of, or would they want to roll the dice on a Steven Spielberg project? Right. And so once, I, once I started to see it in terms of what's the best move forward, uh, I said, you know what? I basically begged my wife. <laughs> I said, you know, honey, honey, love of honey, my life, darling, love yeah. you so much. We have to do this. You know, we have we have to invest in this film. I, I think this is going to be the key. And of course, having read the script and getting the background on 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 the story, uh, you know, I realized that you know, history repeats itself. A lot of what what's going on currently has you know roots back in the sixties. Um, from racial inequality to uh, the gay rights movement, which is now the LGBTQ movement to mm -hmm. women's rights. I mean, it all ties back to that era. And, you know, a lot of these issues are reemerging. And I'm like, what a great time to tell this story. And this story needs to be told. And every intuition, every instinct in my body was like, I don't care if I have to sell my house. I don't have to wow. care what I have to do. I am going to take everything I've got and put it on red at the roulette wheel. Wow. Um, because I believed in it that much. That's incredible. When I tell you I had to beg my wife, yeah, I, I mean, am, I'm not kidding. I'm no. talking like hands and knees, uh -huh. begging her with prayer hands. I'm like, Gail, I promise you, this is going to be successful. I 
don't know how I can't prove it no, to you. You can't. You can't. But it will. Shit. And then the pandemic hit. And she's like, oh, we're going to make money on it, huh? Mm -hmm. Look at it. Nobody's going to the movies anymore. And I said, have faith, have faith. And then, of course, Netflix came in and they swooped in and everybody made their money. And and of course, it was nominated for you know six Academy Awards and blah, blah, mm. blah. So so that was that was a nice little jump start there. <laughs> I mean, that's what an incredible jump start, but also fair play to Gail for, uh, you know, <laughs> allowing you to do this because it's true. You're a oh, team yeah. when you're a family like that. And right. it's frightening to put your hard earned cash uh, into something, especially yes, a film. Is. And OK, it is Aaron Sorkin and it is Sasha Baron Cohen and many, many other amazing people involved. But still, it's a huge huge risk what what did they present to you it's really interesting for us to know because we're doing that from the other side we're always presenting decks or information memorandums are called here about how the film will make money what did you get what did they send to you as the exec on it i don't want to go against any uh ndas or anything like that but sure i'll, I'll i will give you a little brief kind of thing. So we we invested through Cross Creek Pictures mm, okay. and they were looking for equity financing, which is quite common with films. You know, they 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 sent us the pitch deck, which included the script and, you know, all of the talent that was attached, the sort of waterfall, they call it, of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, investors at this the range get paid first and investors at that range get paid second and so on and so forth. They call mm -hmm. it a waterfall. Mm -hmm. Once I read the synopsis and figured out what the script was about, knowing how brilliant Aaron Sorkin is, mm -hmm. I said, man, this, this, this is a no brainer. Uh, and, and I felt the social relevance of the film uh, in every fiber of my being. So yeah, it, for me, it was, this is something. And of course, the universe gave me clues like we were at, at my stepdaughter's house in Texas and I was on my way to the gym. And there was this apartment complex called Cross Creek Apartments. <laughs> and they had go. a sign and they had a sign that said vacancy available. And I just like I looked up at, you know, the sky and went, OK, God, all right, I get it. I yeah. get it. You know, you turn to Gail. Gail, look, <laughs> look. <laughs> it was like I was just, you know, it's it's weird, but I really am sort of, you know, uh, clued into universal sort of clues. It's all instinct. It's all intuition. Um, mm. That's that's how I roll. And so far, I've, I've been successful at it. So. Yeah, amazing. I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to thank God it's there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Had you already done uh, John Leguizamo's Road to Broadway before yes. that? Okay, so you already knew the sort of landscape. It wasn't like the first thing you'd invested in, if you like. So you'd already been involved with John Leguizamo's uh, documentary. Right. Okay, right. cool. Cool. How do you find the difference between executing and producing when you're just coming on as exec and then when you're also producing? What? Do you prefer and what, what do you feel is the difference for you? Technically, the difference is the executive producer is the one that comes in either with the financing themselves or they find other people's money. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of how that and that's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, it's like once I get a, a project and I really believe in it, like the trial of the Chicago seven, like mm -hmm. as they made us like yeah. John Leguizamo's behind the scenes documentary. If something about the project just hits me 
in a certain way where I feel like this is something that needs to, this is a story that needs to be told. This is something that is going to raise the consciousness of society, um, which I believe that filmmaking uh, is all about, at least for me, to raise people's empathy and, and things like that. So it's like, once I get behind something, I, I put my all into it. And that really does help me sell it uh, when I'm trying to pitch to get other people's money, for example, or it, it you know, so I, I, I find that rewarding being able to play a part in, in, in supporting uh, that film and getting it made. Mm. Um, but the producing, uh, you know, I admit I, I have less experience in the producing area, the day-to-day the, the -day sort of producing. Nuts and bolts side of stuff, sure. I'm using my executive producer status to learn more about on-set producing, uh, which is what I plan on doing with my own film, The Mob Kid. Mm. You know, all of these prior successes, as I always say, it's like setting the table yeah. for your next thing to happen. And so all of this has really led me to getting my own project done hopefully. Uh, and I think I will. No, it feels like you will. You seem like the kind of guy, you know, who's very driven uh, and very believes in the stuff that he's putting his time and effort into it, yours. And sure, why, you know, I'm like, I'm all for you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mob kid sounds great. And yeah, brilliant. I don't see why you won't make that happen. I really believe in you. You can tell by the way you speak. What kind of tips did you find work when pitching to fellow investors or potential investors when you were going out there what did you feel worked and what didn't maybe when pitching to investors well so far i haven't had any experience with it not working so exactly right? uh, which is great <laughs> it's a great problem to have and i hope i never know what that's like for sure yeah i mean what works is just being passionate about whatever it is it passion is the key it's right. really believing in something so much that you're willing to move mountains, you know, to make it happen. And, mm. and there's no giving up. I mean, look, I'm, I'm 50, I'll be 59 in about 10 days or so, 11 days to be exact. You don't look it, sir. You do Thanks, not look man. it. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. And, you know, but I've been, I've been knocking around this business for a long time and, mm. uh, but I never gave up. Mm. And that's, that's the thing. It's like, you, you know, it, the, the day that you give up, it's over. Mm -hmm. And then there's no debating it, you know, it's over and it's time to do something else. But if you never give up and you believe in yourself and you believe in you're passionate about, you know, everything that you do and you stick with it and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of down times. I mean, it's a roller coaster, you know, setbacks and one step forward, two step back, two steps back kind of a thing. That's just part of life. Uh, I don't think I don't think we can escape that no matter what business we're in. But if you really love what you do and you believe in, in the projects and you believe in yourself and your abilities and you just keep packing away at it until, until success comes. And it's funny, it wasn't until I got married and started experiencing family life that, I don't know, something about that just sort of broadened my horizons. Whereas before I was very narrow-minded, narrowly focused Mm. Being married and having a family and experiencing what it's like to be a dad, even though I don't have any biological kids of my own, mm -hmm. um, just that experience, just it broadened my scope and gave me, uh, you know, a sort of better perspective on things. And that's been the key to my success. Once I got back in the business and saw myself 
from a wider sort of uh, perspective and I widened that perspective, that's when the success finally started to happen. I love it. Well, let's talk about As They Made Us uh, then. How did yeah. it come to you? Uh, did Maim contact you? How did it fall into your lap? Talk us, talk us through the whole process. Same way the Chicago 7. Right. Carrie Anderson said, hey man, uh, Ann Clements is producing this wonderful film. Dustin Hoffman is starring in it. Mm -hmm. and That's already a bonus, isn't it? Right. I mean, <laughs> I you know, mean all I had to hear okay. was Dustin Hoffman. And, <laughs> and then, you know, Mayim Bialik is the writer-director and yeah. Simon Helberg and Candace Bergen, of course, legendary Candace Bergen, Diana Agron. So uh, you know, and it's a story Great about, cast. you know, uh, family dysfunction, which is something I have uh, unfortunate, uh, unfortunately intimate knowledge of. <laughs> but, you know, what's great about this film is I think that it has universal appeal, all backgrounds, all, all you know, uh, life, uh, people from all over the world you know, can relate to this story in some way or another. And, and also it, it's a film that lets you know, like, hey, you're not alone that we all go through the trials and tribulations of, of dysfunction and family dynamics. And there is another side, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you can still be happy in your adult life and, you know, you can heal from it. Yes. And yeah. so uh, I'm like, Hey man, you know, here's another film that just speaks to my sensibilities. And, you know, it's all about raising consciousness. It's all about creating empathy and having this communal experience through film. As they made us, it's about a divorced mom as she tries to make peace with a dysfunctional family and she finds a second chance at love. Okay. Final hugs for dad. Hugs, hugs. Oh, look at that. It's your mom. Nope. God, relentless. Hey, bye. Good luck with that. Mom. Oh, wait till you hear this one. Dad fell again. He's on the floor and can't get up. What? Well, he's comfortable. Trying to sit down and I missed it. Abby, my Abby, you know me better than anybody. You always have. You know me better than your mother. Call the caregiver agency. I gotta fire another one. Oh, no, Mom. What did he do? He was giving your father marijuana in the form of cute little oh, bears. God. Mom, he was one of the good ones. Morning. Hi, come on in. Hello, muscle. Hello yourself. I'm Jade, the landscaper. <laughs> I found some landscaping. I could use some help. Oh my God, I want to die. How's work? Just with the eyes. It's fine. Hey, boss lady. This is Abigail. My dad's dying. And my mom. His chiropractor thinks maybe meditation would help. Mm-hmm. Have you told your brother about me? Huge. He doesn't give it. Ma. I think we should say hello. Have you put on a little weight? You should have heard what she was saying, man. Abby, was get yourself out of there. Hey, what's up? I wanted to talk to you about Dad. Oh. I don't know. Uh, it might be the last. Yeah, no, I get it. Your life is just always like this. Emotions, intensity, you having to fix everything. Yeah, it's all I know. Mom really shouldn't be leaving you. No, no, don't be hard on her. She's doing a terrific job, Abby. Do you ever tell her that? I couldn't tell her that. <laughs> He just did. As They Made Us is out now, by the way, on all digital platforms. You can find it. Links to that will be in the show notes. Uh, do watch it. Do, do, do. It's brilliant. Let's dive into it a little bit more about dysfunctional family because there's so many filmmakers out there, people in the arts, people in that world do come from dysfunctional 
families. It just seems to be withdrawn to make believe and coming up with characters and ideas as if we don't want to be ourselves a bit. And then, like you say, sometimes you kind of have to find yourself when you're producing. You go, actually, no, I need to, because I can't hide behind a character, you know. And you mentioned it earlier, and I thought it was really interesting about you sort of, you came back to this and opened your eyes and you've got this new lease of of yourself now. Did you find going through your journey really did make a difference to where you are now in terms of exec producing movies, making your own movie, you know, and really feeling you're in a strong place with who you are? And that takes time, right? Oh my God, yes. If I had it to do all over again, mm. and I know this is, I know this sounds cliche, but it, I really would not change a thing. I believe that life challenges us for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's all designed to make us better people. And some people become better people. Some people don't. Yep. But for me, that's how I look at it. Uh, you know, I don't regret anything that I've been. And I've been through some uh, my some painful, very painful moments in my life that just indescribable. But finding a way to rise above it and using one's creativity as an asset mm. is 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 the ticket. Um, and that's why I got into acting because it allowed me to express myself in a way that I couldn't, you know, growing up as a child, I, you know, it was always like children are to be seen and not heard kind of a thing. Right. And so, uh, that, that gave me my voice, so to speak, but it's been a long journey. You know, you, 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 you have to deal with all these hangups, uh, of, uh, you know, am I good enough? Uh, insecurities, uh, which I still have. Mm -hmm. um, I still have those demons that I that I fight on a daily basis. But I've learned to also develop this intuitive voice, which kind of says to me, hey, man, you know, get out of your head. Don't stay in that space. Um, it's very easy for me to get there into that mm -hmm. negative space. Mm -hmm. And there's that little voice that says, hey, man, you know, you're not the only one that's messed up in this world, man. You know, it's sure. like every, everybody's got their demons. Everybody's going through something. And if they could find a way to make it in this life, so can you. Yeah. So just keep going and keep going. And, you know, even when you want to put a pillow over your head and sleep all day, get up, make those phone calls, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know do whatever you have to do to kick that can down the road and eventually you're going to get there. Yeah. What is it you do when you feel overwhelmed or lose focus, you know, or have done in your journey? What do you think looking back now or even now that you go, okay, that helps me gain focus again? Is it spending time with the family? Is it writing? Is it going off somewhere thinking about something else? It'd be really interesting to know. It's, all, it's, it's really all of the above. I walk about an hour and a half a day wow. um, to sort of get my exercise. I, you know, since COVID hit, you know, uh -huh. going to the gym is out of the question right now, at least for me. Um, okay. So, you know, I, I'll go on a long hour and a half walk and I do my best thinking mm. um, that way. Uh, spending time with family. I was unable to be with my elderly mom when she discovered she had breast cancer mm. a few years back and I would not get on a plane. I did not want to make her sick, mm -hmm. you know, so not being able to see my mom for a few years broke my heart, man, you know, mm. but thank God she beat it. That's helped tremendously. Just being, just feeling blessed that I get to be with her again. And that's it, isn't it? It is feeling 
that feeling of look we, we're kind of lucky to be here there's so much crap going on in the world the fact that we can do something that we love making films the fact that we can come up with ideas and it turns into something that goes on screen or we can help by investing in something or whatever it is is huge and brilliant yeah. you know and it's amazing that success you've had would you say that your situation in your life generally and, and i think all the experiences you've had in your life helped you write the mob kit because you have written oh. it right <laughs> tell us a bit about that without a doubt i i had a, a very sort of interesting childhood um you know my mom and dad divorced when i was three and uh she was a go-go dancer back in the 50s and 60s. And that's how she met my stepfather, Frank Vestry, who was a lounge singer and had an amazing voice. He had recorded an album, I think, with about 12 songs on it. And he used to give them out as handouts wherever he entertained. And when he passed away, three days after my 10th birthday, uh, that was all I had left of him. And, you know, the record never was available for release or anything like that it was just a handout kind of a thing but being being around frank for those few years that i was lucky enough uh, to have him in my life uh it was you know it was it was colorful i mean he was he was repped by you know some some uh wise guys you know <laughs> uh, yeah so i, I th that's guys. you know it's like that, that that got me all like I was like, wow, I don't want to talk too much about that because I don't know how but, much you can say. You know, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a, it was a, it was a colorful upbringing. Right. Uh, and I was exposed to a lot of these people. And so that sort of kind of got me inspired to write the script because so, okay, fast forward, I'm doing extra work on Goodfellas wow, and I'm cool. in, I'm in the, I'm in the Copacabana scene, right? Amazing, uh, but Amazing. way, way off way. If you look at the movie, you'll never find me, <laughs> but you know, you're there and we know right. you're there now. Amazing. And you know, Scorsese is the type of director that even if you're not facing the lens of the camera, uh -huh. he still, he still wants to fill up the entire room mm. just in case he decides to, you know, turn the camera that way. He just, so I basically sat in the corner somewhere at a table right. and that was it. I don't think the camera's on me once. But you got to but watch, that, right? I mean, you got that's right. That's not why I was there. <laughs> yeah. I was there to see my idol in mm. action. And so Jerry Vale comes out on stage and he's lip syncing uh, the song that wound up in the movie. And, and I remember my my stepfather, Frank, telling me that he knew him. So I said, man, maybe I could talk to him, to Jerry, and then catch Scorsese's eye. And then maybe I could tell Scorsese, hey, man, why don't you put a few of my dad's songs in the, in movie. the movie? Sure. And I chickened out. I didn't want to get, I didn't <laughs> want to get do, kicked off do. set. No, definitely not. I, you know, I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's, that idea stayed with me because, you know, the thing about it is, you know, it's one thing to lose a parent at that young age, mm. but to lose someone who had such an incredible voice, such an amazing talent mm. to know that no one on this planet e is ever going to hear that voice ever again. And so my mission in life was basically like, how can I get his music out there? Mm. And nice. so I came up with this idea for a mafia comedy. Okay. A soul switch sort of Freaky Friday meets the Sopranos. I love it. Great. And I said, hey, man, you know, 
if I make this movie, I could put his music on the soundtrack and mm-hmm. everybody that watches this movie is going to hear, hear his voice. His voice. It's there forever. So, yeah, that's, you know, you talk about inspiration. It, it's the pain. It's it's the triumph. It's all of it. Mm. All of life experiences that sort of uh, help one's creative voice when doing anything, whether it's writing, acting. Totally. How did you find the writing side of it then? Because you know as much as you've done the shorts and bits and pieces to write a feature is difficult it's not easy how, how, <laughs> that's, a, that's like the understatement of the century yeah, man. my listeners know they uh, they understand they're like yeah that's understated so how did you did you put notes up did you sketch how did you d- write the thing because that's always difficult okay so <laughs> so here we go right i have never written a anything in my entire life up until the mob kit i didn't even know how to use the software to the the screenwriting software draft sure Uh, final draft right and i started to read this book making a good script great it's right in front of me here it's underneath it's underneath my mic literally (laughs) balancing up my mic there it is there it is there you go make a good script great by uh, Linda Seeger. I got to about page maybe 10. Yeah, and I just went, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm just going to start writing this good, dang good thing. You. Yeah, yeah. And so I had no idea what I was doing, but I felt that the premise of the story basic was so good that it could basically write itself. And some stories I, I, are, are like that. If you come up with a good premise, it's like, okay, so you've got this geeky nerdy kid that gets bullied and picked on. He's always coming home with a bandaid on his face, a black eye, a bloody nose. And then you've got this rough and tumble, tough guy, you know, sort of wise guy who is the exact opposite. And then they have to switch. And now you get to see this little kid be a gangster. And you see the gangster being this timid little kid. (laughs) And what would, and what would life be like if you put these people? And so all I started to think about was how could I have fun with these characters? Mm. What situations can I put them in that would be hilarious? That would, that people would get a kick out of. And that's sort of how I started to write the story and then, and then, of course, you've got to get into like structure oh, and God. how everything gets put together. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that was about ten drafts <laughs> um, yeah. worth of rewriting and, sure. and coverage and you know notes and. Mm-hmm. But somehow, in fifteen years, and I'm still rewriting it. I still we have a director that's interested who shall remain nameless at this point, mm-hmm. but he's done some stuff that people would be very familiar with and uh he's already given me 16 pages of notes <laughs> but luckily yeah it, what's great about it is you know he really gets the story so many people haven't mm. been able to sort of get the story for some reason but i read some of his notes as a matter of fact every every single page of his notes was like pearls right and what was funny is the first draft of the script had just about 90 percent of his notes already in it huh. But, you know, when you get coverage, everybody's like, well, you know, a comedy can't be 120 pages long. It's got to be 95 pages long. And so you need to take this out and take that out. And, you know, that's not necessary. That's not. And all of the things that everybody told me wasn't necessary. He's telling me to put it back in, which is great. (laughs) Great. I I have uh, J. Todd Harris, who was Mm -hmm. a co-exec producer on trial. Right of Chicago 7 uh, producing the film uh, for me, with me. I watched Big the other day, the Tom Hanks movie, and I hadn't watched it since I was a kid. And I 
loved it. It was like, obviously the song, which is out of date, but, and it's really weird that he's kind of in love with a girl who's way older than him and she is as well. But if you take that out of it, there was so much that was amazing in that movie. And films like Freaky Friday or the new one was Freaky that just came out as well. I love those films. 17 going on, whatever it was, 13 going on, 30, uh, just 17 or 17 something with Zac Efron. They're all 17 again. 17 again. That was it. They're all so good. I love those movies. So the fact that you've got one and the concept sounds incredible i'm like i yeah i think yeah there's got legs and i can see why people would be interested i can't wait to see that I, yeah yeah good luck i really hope it goes well you. hopefully you'll get you back on in a year or two Thank when you. you've made it and we can come talk exactly about that i would love to yes let's do it <laughs> finally then what uh advice would you give for some hard-working filmmakers out there who are looking to either get their break or make their fourth film my advice is really just don't give up i mean just keep going, mm -hmm. keep going and have faith that it will happen. It takes time. Yeah. You know, for some people it happens overnight, you know, and that's just the luck of the draw. Yep. You know, you could go to Vegas and put it all on red and win, or you could go to Vegas and not win your whole life. And then all of a sudden you win. So you, you know, you have to get out of this mindset. You know, if you're going to get into this business, you have to realize that if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to do it. Um, in order for you to stick out and stand out, um, you know, it takes more than talent. It takes drive. It takes believing in yourself. It is, sometimes it's just bore, as boring as getting on a phone call or doing a seminar or what, whatever it is, just put yourself out there, meet as many people Take phone numbers, mm -hmm. introduce yourself, mm -hmm. get business cards to start developing a network of people because it's such a small industry. You never know who you're going to meet today that's going to help you tomorrow. And maybe they're not in a place to help you today, but they'll be in a place to help you tomorrow. And that that's how I've done it. Clay Epstein was the sales agent on As They Made Us. My relationship on that movie got him to be the sales agent on The Mob Kid. There you go. Um, yeah. Jay Todd Harris, co-executive producer on Trial of Chicago 7, is now producing my film. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, it, it, you just keep putting yourself out there. Keep meeting as many people as you can meet. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, then it's definitely over. Brilliant advice. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy chatting to you. Thank you, Same Jonathan. Here. I actually really enjoyed this. It's been amazing. Thank you, Giles. Really appreciate it. Remember, um, the film, As They Made Us, is out now. Uh, do go watch it. Do go support. Link to that will be in the show notes. Uh, you can go make your indie film. You can go make your big studio film. Make it happen. Believe in yourself. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, as Jonathan has done, it is your duty. Send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday. As always, thank you so much for listening. Honestly, I appreciate it so much. And thank you for joining us, Jonathan. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, Giles. It's been a pleasure. Take good care. Absolute pleasure. Take care, everyone. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.